0: Welcome to the Tech Diva Success Podcast. This is a short weekly podcast that focuses on tools, processes, and best practices that truly fuel success for women in technology. We thank you for tuning in, and we hope you walk away with at least one best practice that will help you level up personally or professionally. What can you take action on that will make you 1% better? This show gives us space to grow that amazing potential you have inside of you by bringing you guests from all walks of life and allowing them to share their success secrets with you. I'm your host, Nicole Scheffler, and I consider myself a tech diva with over 15 years experience in a technology career, and I'm committed to sparking tech diva success with my collection of various books, podcasts, and projects, including our other podcast, the diva tech talk podcast, which is all here to inspire you and is dedicated to women in technology. I know you're going to love it, so on with the show. We have some great conversations going to happen on this episode today. I just know it from talking with Siri in advance. We are really happy to be on today with Siri Chalazi. She is a research fellow at the Women in Public Policy Program at Harvard Kennedy School. So their life work and her life work is also to advance gender equality in the workplace through research and research translation. She operates at the intersection of academia and practice, both conducting research on how organizations can become more inclusive and bringing those research insights to practitioners through speaking training and workshops and podcasts like the one today. So Mm -hmm. she's a true advisor and scholar. She frequently collaborates with organizations like startups, even up to Fortune 500 in order to close gender gaps so she's presented at a lot of conferences around the world. If you haven't heard from her, that's why we are so excited to have her on today. She's been included in Harvard Business Review, New York Times, BBC, Fast Company. She's an amazing woman (laughs) with an MBA from Harvard Business School, a master in public policy at the Harvard Kennedy School, and a bachelor's in chemistry and physics from Harvard College. So she is going to drop some knowledge on us today on what's really happening with inclusion. And we can't wait to have a conversation. So thanks for joining us, Siri. Thank you so much for having me, Nicole. It's an absolute pleasure. (laughs) And why don't you just kick us off? Is there anything I missed that I should share about you or any work that you've been diving into recently? Oh, goodness, no, you shared more than necessary, I think.
1: (laughs) As you said, my life's work is really advancing gender equality in organizations, and in particular, bridging the gap between the knowledge that we generate in academia through research and what's actually happening on the ground with practitioners. Uh, So there's a lot of great knowledge and insights out there, but, you know, practitioners are busy, people are running their companies, they're going about their daily lives, and so they don't have time to read these 70-page studies that we publish in peer-reviewed journals. And so I get a lot of set. satisfaction and drive a lot of sense of purpose from being able to bring this knowledge to practitioners to the people on the front lines in a way that they can immediately implement and put it into practice.
0: That's well, super important because the exactly. blending of that is exactly what we want to talk about today. So, how can we get started in helping take your mission of raising gender equality and blend it with our mission which is right there with you on raising the success of women in technology. So, what can you share with us?
1: Well, the first thing I want to share with everybody, which pertains to women's advancement in technology and women's entry into technology, is that unconscious bias remains one of the key barriers to prevent women from being equal uh, in the technology fear. But it might not be exactly in the way that you think, because a lot of people, when they hear the words unconscious bias, they think, oh, this is all these individual shortcuts that our brains take right, to make decisions and stereotypes and patterns and unconscious associations that we have. Yes, that's all true. That is unconscious bias at the individual level. But the important thing to note is that while unconscious bias exists in individual brains, it also exists in the organizational systems and processes that we humans with these biased brains have created. And it's actually at that system and process level where debiasing has a much greater chance of making a meaningful impact. There is unfortunately no research to suggest that we can fundamentally 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 de-bias individual brains. We can certainly educate people about the nature of unconscious bias and sort of, you know, you sit through a training and you learn something new and you feel like you gained knowledge and that's important, but that bias that fundamentally exists in your brain doesn't really go away. But at the system level, we can make small changes into things like how we hire people, how we evaluate their performance, what metrics we use to promote people. And those small changes can significantly level the playing field and make sure that unconscious bias doesn't unduly advantage one group over another.
0: So you're saying that unconscious bias training isn't going to do the secret trick and fix everything?
1: I am, and I know it's, it's a tough message to get through because companies love unconscious bias training. I don't know about you, how you feel about this, Nicole, but my guess is companies love these trainings because they're straightforward. They're a clear signal of the fact that you're committed to doing something for diversity and inclusion in your organization, right? It's very easy to put aside some amount of money and say, okay, we're going to put everyone through this training, check the box. A year later, everyone's done the training, What we fail to do is follow up six months later or two years later and say, did this actually have any kind of effect? Did we see any meaningful difference in other people's lived experiences on a day to day level? Did we see any meaningful difference in the diversity and inclusion numbers and metrics of who we're employing, how fast they're advancing? And the times when we have studied this, my colleague Frank Dobbin at Harvard, for example, looked at longitudinal data for nearly 40 years from hundreds of U.S. corporations and found that the diversity training programs these companies implemented had zero correlation to the actual diversity in these companies. And so the predominance of the evidence really tells us that these trainings, as good as they might feel, and as much as we might feel like we learn a little bit in the moment, they actually have no long-term effect on behavior change.
0: Yeah, and that's interesting. So I've definitely work at a company that does endorse and require unconscious bias training and they want to do it to take action. I'm the biggest fan of not checking the box. I'm always trying to figure out how we can go past that and do better. So with that being said, if the premise of unconscious bias and having diversity trainings is to take action and do something about it, what do you recommend then that has been effective to help the systematic change? Yeah, I do applaud
1: any company who wants to take action. So first of all, that's a great place to begin what i would say as a research scientist is approach the process of managing diversity and inclusion exactly the same way you manage your core business which is in a data-driven rigorous analytical way you don't um, set out to launch a new product and say you know let's just uh build this whenever it's done and then when it's ready let's launch it let's put it out to the market and let's see how many users we're able to attract in the next six months My guess is no one manages their business like that. They say, here's our deadline. Here's the development milestones that we need to hit. The launch date is X. In our first six months, we want to generate Y Y number of users, right? It's all there's goals. There's metrics. There's targets that are being rigorously tracked. And when those goals are not reached, there are some consequences,
0: right? So could, could the unconscious bias training be one of the goals feeding into the larger strategy?
1: Well, I wouldn't view unconscious bias training as a goal in itself, right? Because often it's deployed, for example, in the context of hiring. And we say, oh, let's put all our hiring managers through unconscious bias training in an effort to try to ensure that bias doesn't influence who we hire. But the metric that we actually care about, right, is the people we end up hiring. So I would then focus on setting goals on that metric and always, of course, starting with our existing data and understanding who is our workforce today, who do, who have we historically hired and, and how do we hire those people, right? Are they um, on-campus hires, entry level? Are we recruiting heavily through internal networks and referrals? That might be a problem if we don't start out with a very diverse workforce because people's networks tend to overwhelmingly be composed of other people who are very similar to them. Um, So you first want to analyze where are my new hires coming from today and what type of hiring process am I putting them through and also mapping out the different stages of the funnel. So, you know, at the beginning where you just have a thousand resumes on the desk, um, that pool might actually be, let's say, 50-50 women and men. But then after a round of resume reviews, a round of screening interviews, a round of coding interviews, you might all of a sudden find yourself with a finalist pool that's um, 80% men. 20% And 20% women so then you have to go and ask yourself well what happened in the resume review the screening interview the coding interview that skewed my pool so heavily towards male and invariably when you start digging into the data and the processes step by step you kind of find places where gaps emerge and for me whenever a gender gap in this case could be also a racial gap or any other kind of diversity inclusion gap whenever those gaps emerge that's a clue that there might be some unconscious bias built into the process that is happening.
0: Wonderful advice. Well, what else do you have for us? How else can we drive the closing of the gender gap, especially for women in technology? So, we talked a little bit more about some of these structural
1: interventions, right? So, the hiring um, funnel is an example. But I do want to share with all the listeners one example of what we as individuals can do starting today, starting right now, to help uh, level the playing field for all of our colleagues. And that's a lovely concept called micro sponsorship. Micro sponsorship is the small daily acts of support and affirmation that we provide to our colleagues. It doesn't take any training. doesn't take any kind of formalized program. It's things like when you see a colleague interrupted in a meeting. Instead of letting it go, you actually jump in and say, wait a minute, I'd love to hear Nicole finish her point, please. Or if Nicole made a great point five minutes ago, and now James has restated the exact same idea, and somehow the consensus around the table is that it's James' idea. I, as a microsponsor, can jump in and say, yes, James, I love how you built on Nicole's thoughts from five minutes ago. This is great collaboration and action right here. Or I'll give you another example. If you're invited to um, attend a meeting, go to a conference, give a talk, write an article, whatever it is that you, for whatever reason, can't do. Instead of just declining and saying, no, sorry, thank you, I can't do this. As you decline, offer the names of three women colleagues that would be amazing for the job and say, Well, while I can't do this, I would love to recommend these three amazing women who would be a perfect fit for this opportunity. So these are small ways in which we can help lift each other up and shine a spotlight on each other's accomplishments, abilities, potential. And it really doesn't take any extra effort or any extra time, but it can have a huge difference. It can make a huge difference
0: for the culture and for the advancement opportunities of women. Yeah, I've always been a fan of sharing my love, light, and positivity and encouragement. Right, Um, and it's all about action, right?
1: Because a lot of times we then leave the meeting and start kind of talking amongst the women, oh, did you see how she was interrupted again? Oh, and again, her idea didn't, you know, it was credited to a different person. And the noticing is important, and the venting about it can sometimes feel very good. I appreciate the impulse but it's doing something to fix it in the moment that's actually gonna have the biggest impact. And hence it's called micro sponsorship, right? The idea being that sponsorship is tangible actions that help to advance others and help to level the playing field.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Both those ideas are things that we can do in our community as well. Taking these concepts and applying them to social justice, Um, At a time when Black Lives Matter and equality has become a table topic in many communities. So we can take a moment and just say that if you think about any of the things we've talked about so far, they all apply to the need for systematic change and micro sponsorship in our work and in our communities as well for all types of inequality. So what else can you uh, share with us today?
1: Well, the one other thing that I would love to talk about is goals. And that applies at the individual level, but also at the organizational level. So there's a lot of research to show that if you want to get something done, um, setting goals is the way to do it. It's a mechanism of, of accountability. I think actually the tech sector in the US is an excellent example of this. So a lot of the biggest 10 companies have been publishing their diversity data for about six or seven years now. And if you look closely at the numbers in those reports, they haven't really moved. The representation of women, in particular the representation of women of color, really has barely inched up in six years. We talked earlier about the importance of data, and that's certainly step one, but it's not the be-all end-all. Because in order for real change to happen, you need to use that data as an engine for change, as an engine for progress. And one of the ways to do that is to set goals. At the individual level, it could be something like setting a goal for how many junior women you want to mentor or sponsor. If you're in a managerial position, in a position where you actually control other people's career development, setting specific goals for how many women you want to promote, how many more women you want to hire onto the team, things like that. And it could even be something outside of work, right? You might just participate in some kind of community group that helps to advance women and helps to support women um, achieve their dreams. At the organizational level, It's the same process. Once you have your baseline of data, once you understand where you are today, then in order to actually make it better, instead of just passively tracking the numbers and release them once a year, be proactive and set specific goals and better yet, make them public. Because when we humans know that our behavior is being watched, we tend to behave in less biased and more ethical ways. That's the whole principle of public accountability.
0: Yeah, when it comes to goals, I like what you said there, because essentially in the corporate world, we tend to do goals based on KPIs driven from customer success. Mm -hmm. And I believe that everything you said is absolutely true. Write them down, share them, visualize their success and take action. So those are fundamental things. But I believe that the types of goals you're talking about are equity goals. They're bridging the gap goals. That's the takeaway I'm hearing is have the method apply to both your organizational goals and driving, whether it be customer sales or a partner engagement or whatever it may be, but adding the element of engagement, community engagement, equality, and working towards full spectrum diversity of all people, as we know that that drives innovation. I love what you said there. When we look at full-spectrum diversity, something that is basically saying it's, it's about getting diversity across the board, you know, from gender, race, sex, uh, sexual preference, even economic status, location, things like that. How do you see that impacting innovation and companies' abilities to uh, be agile in a changing world like we're in today?
1: Well, there's a lot of research to suggest that diversity along various different dimensions, the ones that have been studied the most are gender and race simply because they're easy to study, but also things like nationality and difference in functional experience, those have all been shown to improve group performance. Um, And so I think the evidence there is very clear, Uh, whether it's in terms of moral reasoning tasks, math problems, sales tasks, Financial performance in an investing context. I mean, we've studied all of these different facets of diversity and consistently the message is that more diversity equals higher performance. If that's one side of the coin, then there's kind of a flip side of the coin that we talk about less often, and that is that diversity is hard work. Because the mechanism by which diversity generates these benefits and performance is that it forces us to surface more divergent perspectives, consider issues from multiple sides debate more, go back over right, and question our assumptions instead of just jumping to an easy conclusion quickly. In other words, the process, when we have a diverse group of people around the table, it might take a little bit longer and it might feel a little bit more jarring than when you have people around the table who have exactly the same life experience, think it exactly the same way, and therefore come to a nice and easy consensus quickly. So while there are some real benefits to diversity, it's also hard work. And sometimes the experience doesn't feel as good um, in the moment. And this is, as a matter of fact, what what we find in studies is diverse teams, when asked, think that they performed worse, even though they actually performed better. Because the process was just a little bit rockier, but it led to better outcomes.
0: And that's why I think design thinking is such a key piece of this. Because it gives everyone a voice and allows you to get to a group consensus with considering little pieces of everyone's diverse perspectives. Exactly. Well, we've talked about looking at the system versus checking the box for one training. We've talked about it being data-driven. I love the example that you gave about the funnel and looking at different points in the funnel and figuring out how can we, where is it breaking within this funnel? Where is it starting to break down and then working on those systematic changes Uh, I love what you said about setting goals and having them be holistic so that they're not just customer focused, so that you start to set culture and diversity goals, which is so amazing. And then most of all, you heard her, she backs it up uh, that more diversity leads to better performance. Uh, I did a little study of that as well in my upcoming book on pillars of success. So glad that I have such a smart woman helping validate that for me. It makes me feel better. But at the end of the day, you have to do the work. You have to do the work to evaluate the system, to make your voice heard, to look at what you can contribute to change the data, and uh, you have to take action. Is there anything else you want to leave our audience with today? I'll leave your audience with one final thought that hopefully kind of summarizes our discussion and it's this idea
1: of moving from best practice to best evidence. That's actually a a term that was coined by my wonderful colleague Iris Bennett at the Women in Public Policy Program at Harvard Kennedy School. And the idea is that practices like diversity training, unconscious bias training, One of the reasons why we do them so much in corporate America is because we're often just looking around and copying each other, right? Oh, it sounds like a good idea. A whole bunch of other companies are doing it. Why don't we do the same thing? And this happens a lot of times and we never pause to check and say, wait a second, but does this actually work? Is this a good investment? Is this a good return on my investment? And is this going to actually allow me to see the changes that I want to see? Contrast that to how we do marketing, for example. We would never think about spending $2 billion in a marketing campaign where we haven't rigorously pre-tested it with several audiences in different geographies, run focus groups where we don't have a really good idea that this $2 billion is gonna generate a meaningful return on our marketing investment. So essentially, all I'm suggesting is that we treat at the individual level and at the organizational level that we treat diversity and inclusion the same way we treat our normal business. We are rigorous about it, we are data-driven about it, we experiment, we do our homework, and we rely on evidence rather than untested best practices.
0: So you're saying we need diversity in our diversity approach. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) That's a great way to put it. (laughs) Well, I love what you said today. I think it applies to leaders. In the system who can look at how they're able to influence change but also to each of us as individual contributors to micro sponsoring which stood out as something that everybody could take action on right now and to your point the more immediate the better because after the meeting the, the opportunity has passed we have to make the comment when it happens And I think that goes for everything in life. (laughs) The human brain responds better when you get that immediate feedback. Well, you are amazing and thank you for your contributions. I am honored to meet you at this point in our paths and the change that we're making is going to change the world. And I just want to commend you on your research. It is so important to me, that is my mission is to spark more success for women in tech. And at the end of the day, we do that by closing the gender gap through data and through passion, which is what we're talking about. I'm like really a little, it is so motivational. It's conversations like this and it's our listeners out there embracing it, being that micro sponsor, setting those goals and having the multiplier effect take, Point in the community so thank you so much siri if people want to get a hold of you what's the best way to find you
1: you can find me on linkedin my name is siri shalazi and nicole i just want to commend you on all the amazing work that you are doing to lift up women in technology because it is a huge collective effort and you are doing more than your share so thank you for your amazing work and thanks for having me it's been so wonderful chatting with you today
0: <laughs> it's a big love circle join us help inspire more women uh, to spark tech diva success thank you so much siri Thank you, Nicole. Thank you again for listening. And we really hope this sparks something in you that you can use to manifest more success in your life. Please give us a rating or review. We would love to see how the show has inspired you. You can also connect with Tech Diva Success on Twitter, Insta, and Facebook. We're very easy to find under that name. And we hope this episode was fire for you.